child of God, have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, Hey, it's not that bad. <laughs> However, after the sermon, you may say, it is too. No. <laughs> Finish our series, Conquering the Giants, today. Uh, we're going to talk about temptation. <clears throat> Those of you that are new today, we're so glad you're here. And pray that you find today at River Oaks a church family that will love you and care for you. <clears throat> We're not perfect people here, but we are forgiven. And we'll try to share that same forgiveness and love with you uh, as you are here today. So I pray that you are feeling that love and that welcome, uh, welcomeness. Um, whether you've been a Christian for one day <clears throat> or 10,000 days, temptation never goes away. It never takes a break, unless you're, of course, the pastor. And when you arise to the level of being a pastor, then temptation does not affect you at all. <laughs> Wrong. <clears throat> Seems to intensify. <clears throat> oh, I apologize for that. But you should know right up front, temptation is not a sin. Everyone is going to be tempted. You see, it's not the temptation, it's the sin. It's the yielding or giving in to the temptation that becomes the sin. Amen? I was driving by Golden Corral the other day. Driving by. I just kept driving. But just the look of the sign. I never saw that sign before. It's amazing some of the things that you begin to make choices about not participating in is like you used to, and all of a sudden those things keep showing up, don't they? It's awesome. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, temptation is going to come. So how do we conquer that giant? How do we conquer this particular giant? We've been looking at the life of David. We're going to look at that in just a little bit. Uh, different episodes from David's life, and I, and I think they, they help us and have helped us dealing with some of the things that you and I face each day in our life. But I thought it might be fun to do a temptation evaluation this morning, since we're all tempted. And there's lots of things that tempt us. I'm going to put a few things up on the screen. Let's see how we do. The first one is chocolate or cheesecake. All right, where's my chocolate folks out here? How about cheesecake? How about chocolate cheesecake? Amen. All right. All right, how about the next two? Sweet or salty? Sweet, salty. Sweet and salty. Look at those hands. Both of them going up. All right. Food. That's right. Okay. How about the next one? Ice cream or potato chips? 
Potato chips. Let's see potato chips. Ice cream. I hear Brahms calling my name. Oh, my goodness. What's that? Ice cream on a potato chip. Something new? Let's give it a shot? Okay. Now, I've got a few more, but I don't want you to raise your hand on these, okay? Now, these, these don't, don't raise your hand on these. If you start raising your hand on these, I'll have to come back and have a word with you. So don't raise your hand on these. Okay. So what are we going to do on these next few? Don't raise your hand. Okay. Beer or wine? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Temptation. How about this one? Online porn or illegal drugs? Where's your hand? I know some of you are going. <laughs> How about cheat on your spouse or cheat on your taxes? Oh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And the list could go on and on, couldn't it? Temptation is everywhere. There's even pride connected to temptation. When it, and that pride says, I'm not tempted by any of that that you put up there, preacher. I'm not tempted by that at all. And, or you may say, that's not a temptation to me. That would cause me to fall. King David, as great as he was, had a big issue in his life. And that issue was sexual temptation. And it was with a lady named Bathsheba. In fact, probably the most famous story in the Bible with King David next to Goliath would be this story of Bathsheba. So grab your message notes there and let's see how David gave in to this temptation. See also what we can learn from his missteps. Find there in your notes. Let me remind you that the Bible says David is a very special person. David was accomplished. He had accomplished a lot of great things in his life. In fact, he, he slayed the giant Goliath. Uh, he had now become the king of Israel, and, he, and he's been a good king. He's been a good king. But something happens, and in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to begin to see that. And before we uh, wrap up today, I'm also going to tell you what, happens, what happened in his life, because choices have consequences. Amen? They do. We'll talk about that. But I also want to give you some hope before you leave today. I really do. So please stay with me through the whole thing. Pick up 2 Samuel, verse 1, right there on the front of your outline. In the spring of the year, what season? In the spring. The spring of the year when kings, now pay attention to this, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They, that is the army, destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Ramah. So hang on just a second here. Because I want you to look at how successful the army was. The army was succeeding. God was blessing them. However, now you ought to pay attention to the howevers when they show up in the Bible. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now hold your finger right there for just a moment. And I want you to go back and I want you to look at that first line. It was the time when kings normally go out to war, but where did David stay? Stayed behind. He stayed behind. So he was already in the wrong place. 
You ever been in the wrong place? You ever beat yourself up and said, why am I in this parking lot? Why did I walk into this particular store? Ladies that love to shop, you get all of a sudden your eyes glaze over and you walk into that stop shop and you're already, you've got 19 purses, 45 pairs of shoes and they're all up on the counter and all of a sudden you wake up and realize, oh, I've got to pay for these. And of course you do it because you don't want to feel guilty and leave them, amen? Or do you run, oh, I didn't mean to be here, ah, and run away. My little wife, trying to prepare, didn't want to take a bag that she had to check. How many clothes do you think I need to take? How am I going to answer that question? And still be alive today to preach for you this morning. I said, as many as you feel you need to take, dear. That's wisdom coming out right there. Now, if it was me going on the trip, I'd take one pair of pants, two or three shirts, hand wash them in the, th yeah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. Just because you're going to be gone a whole week doesn't mean you have to have your whole wardrobe with you. But then again, that's the way men think. But he was already in the wrong place. He should have been out on the battlefield. It was the spring of the year when war happens and he stayed behind Jerusalem. Let's keep going. Late one afternoon after his midday rest. Now, I don't know if you want to draw too many conclusions here, but it looks like it's okay. If you're a king and you take a midday rest, it's okay for you and I to take a nap. Can I get an Amen. Just turn on the PGA today. You'll be out in minutes. You could turn on the Thunder basketball game last night and been out in minutes because they don't know how to play basketball without Brian Westbrook. They did win? By how many? <laughs> I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. But then look who they're playing. Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> After his midday rest, David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked, as he looked, uh, out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, if you're a guy, you're going to notice something like that. Amen? I'll wait for you men to say amen. amen. If you do it in mass, nobody will know who said it. Amen? amen. You're going to look. So to get high and mighty here about David, well, that's sorry, scoundrel. He was a man after God's own heart. Wow, why would he look at her? He sent someone to find out who she was. <laughs> he takes it a step further. That's where the sin starts. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to take action. Let's keep going. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told it was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So she was married. David sent messengers to get her, and when she, when she came to the palace, they had a prayer meeting. Isn't that what yours says? What does yours say? Oh, I slept with her. Don't turn the page just yet. We'll talk about this. David's temptation was sexual temptation. His sin was a sexual sin. And today we're going to talk about how to overcome the giant of temptation. And part of that, and certainly within that, we're going to talk about sexual sin. But there's no, because there's other kinds of temptation that come. But sexual temptation is not, it may not be your thing. It, maybe it's a, a financial temptation or a, a shortcut temptation. Maybe it's more of an addiction or something like that. But this temptation is always going to come. And whatever temptation you face, 
if you don't have God's tools in your toolbox, you're going to give in. You're going to fall. But if you choose to follow God's plan for your life, you'll find the help that you need. Now, that's especially true in the area of sexual temptation. And maybe you're here and you're single and you're saying, I want to follow God's plan. Being a, a single person, I want to wait until marriage before I have sex. Well, you're going to need what we're going to talk about today in order to accomplish that. Or maybe you're married, maybe you're facing temptation. There's someone who's flirting with you and, you, and maybe you've been tempted to lean toward think about that for a while and maybe step out of the bonds of uh, matrimony and uh, you're going to need what I'm going to say to you the rest of the message today. But if your issue is some other issue, not even related to sexual temptation, then I think you're going to find a lot of help and a lot of hope in today's message. Today's message is not about making you feel guilty. Instead, it's about giving you the tools you need to conquer the giant that's going to bear down on you. And when it comes to temptation, the wrong question is, how can I avoid this temptation? How can I avoid that? That's the wrong question to ask. Because you're never going to be able to avoid it. The right question is, how, with God's help, can I find victory over this temptation? Now, let's talk about that. So turn over in your notes. Let me give you four steps to have victory over this giant of temptation. Number one, admit that I am tempted. Admit that I am tempted. Now, you've sort of, sort of already done that with the little temptation evaluation that we did. But I want to go a little bit deeper. I want you to admit, not only to yourself, but to Almighty God, that you're tempted. Admit it. Admit that you're tempted. I want you to think about David. He did a lot of good in his life. But he has this one big stain in his life. One huge stain in his life where he gave in to temptation, and that's then committing adultery with Bathsheba. And I want to remind you of some of the things that David accomplished, however, before he encountered Bathsheba. He slew, he slew the giant Goliath, who was a great warrior whose name was praised in the entire region. He began to rebuild the temple that Solomon was able to eventually complete. He was a victor in battle. He rose to be king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, he was given a plan by God to re reorganize the, st and, uh, the structure of the priests and to reorganize the temple and then carry God's people for hundreds of years after his death. So David was not tempted at all by finances. In fact, if you read his whole story, he donated all of his gold and silver in order to build the temple that God had called him to build. So he goes on after this to live a long and a privileged life, and he wrote many of the Psalms that we study uh, and we read, and, and we're going to look at some today. And at the end of his life, David is called a man after God's own heart. Still, though he had this stain of sin with Bathsheba. So how did that happen? How could a guy who had all that going for him leave such a big black mark in his life when it came to Bathsheba? Well, maybe one of the issues that he refused to admit is that he, he refused to admit that he even had a problem. He, had, he refused to admit that he was tempted. So this story, David and Bathsheba, could be taken right out of the headlines today. It seems like today we see this, someone who receives great power and, and says, I'm exempt, it can't happen to me, and then temptation comes. In fact, look at our verse there, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. First part of that verse is the bad news. If you think you are strong, standing strong, be careful. 
If so far in this message you found yourself saying that, well, you know, whatever you're saying up there, preacher, that, that really couldn't happen to me. Couldn't happen to me. I, I would never do that. I know this is an old, old, ancient story, but it could never happen to me. And just as sure as you're thinking that, you're getting ready to set yourself up for a fall. The good news, however, is in the last part of that verse, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. They're common temptations. The more I study human nature and the Bible, I see the devil has about a half a dozen tricks that he uses. And he's never changed. It's the same tricks he's always used. And we keep falling into them because of our human nature, because of who we are. We refuse to take a stand and do the right thing. We refuse to clean it up and act the way God wants us to act. In the detective fictions of G.K. Chesterton, he uh, has a famous detective named Father Brown. Father Brown uh, would solve his cases by imagining what he would do in that particular situation. Someone asked him one time, said, how do you do this? Father Brown's character said, you may think a crime was horrible because you could never commit it. I think it's horrible because I could commit it. You see, before we jump in judgment on somebody else's life, we need to go stare in the mirror for a while. Take a look in the mirror, real hard at that person in the mirror. A reminder that we can do all things, uh, we all have temptations, is that we have to admit that we're tempted. And here's why. Because denial is potentially worse than admitting you're tempting. You're, you're, uh, admitting you're tempted. When you deny something, you're making yourself more susceptible to temptation. And whatever you resist in your life, it tends to persist in your life. Whatever you resist in your life, it tends to persist in your life. And that's why one of the things that's helped me along the way over the last several months is that I quit telling myself I can't have this. I just choose not to. And the battle rages on. <laughs> the battle rages on. Oh, it does. Oh, it does. I was looking at that baked potato last night that we were ready to eat with our steak dinner at the men's dinner last night. Oh, and that steak smelled good. It tasted even better. Every bite of it tasted awesome. But equally as awesome was that baked potato. I'm not supposed to put butter on it. But we don't really have anything here that's a substitute for butter. So I put butter on mine. I probably have to go buy a new tub now and replace the one I just ate back there in the back. Boy, that tasted good. Good old melted butter and a hot baked potato. How? Put some shredded cheese on top. You're getting hungry now, aren't you? See how temptation works? So if you say that's not happening to me, that's the uh, you're getting ready to fall. Psalm 139. David says, investigate my life. Would you be able to say that prayer right now? God, investigate my life. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. Boy, that's a powerful prayer right there. Before you turn the page, would you be willing to say right now, God, I'm tempted. 
If there's an area that God's brought to your mind, maybe it's one that's gotten you every time in the past, and maybe it's a new one that's coming at you in the future. God, I'm going to admit to you, I'm going to admit to you that I'm tempted. Are you ready to say that to me? I hope so. Because you're only fooling yourself. When you admit that you're tempted, you're inviting God's power into your life. And God can only help you according to how much you express your dependency on Him. So say right now, God, I'm tempted. Because you see, if you're facing sexual temptation and you don't admit it, it's going to destroy you like it did David. So would you say with me out loud, God, I'm tempted. God, I'm tempted. Good for you. I hope you mean it. So admit that you're tempted, number one. Number two, acknowledge across the page there. Acknowledge that I am in a spiritual battle. Acknowledge that I'm in a spiritual battle. A lot of these battles that we face, we can say they're physical. And most temptation has a physical aspect to it. There's a physical issue, an aspect of sexual temptation. In fact, you and I are wired to be sexual people. Did you know that? Yes, we are. And the, and the physical aspect is even leads to addictions. The physical aspect of temptation is very real, but I also want you to know at its core, all temptation is spiritual. All temptation is spiritual. Ultimately, the battle that we're in is not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. And I want you to acknowledge that, that you're in this spiritual battle. There's this myth that is so pervasive in our culture, it's called mind-body dualism. Mentioned it in Sunday school, and it's so true. It permeates our, our culture. Here's what the mind-body dualism says. It says that, what, that your mind and your body are two separate things. In other words, what you're doing in one doesn't affect what you're doing in the other. Oh, yeah, it does. Oh, yes, it does. And what that myth teaches is that what we do in our minds does not affect what we do in our bodies. And likewise, and what you do with your body doesn't affect your mind. So that's why you can have a one-night stand. You can commit adultery. You can look at pornography. You can abuse your body. And it supposedly doesn't affect you any other way. Really? Really? <laughs> so if you look at your entire life, And you know what you've done to your body in the past. Even though the scars that are long gone, they still affect your mind. You know those things in your mind that can affect your body. Look at Romans 7, 23. But there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. A lot of people quote that verse in justification for their behavior. If you think it, You can do it. Amen? Now, I could think about dunking a a basketball. (laughs) Doing it's a whole new program. But there are are people who can do that, and they do it with ease. They do it without any problem. Amen? That's the truth. Uh, In my workout last week, I was asked to do something I hadn't done in 40 years. 40 years I haven't done this. And I did it. And my trainer looked at me and said, See, see, I knew you could do this. I knew you could do this as he patted me on the shoulder. 
I was glad to get the pat on the shoulder, but I was more glad to get the weight off my shoulder. But I did do what he was asked us to do. Forty years. Can you imagine how long it's been since this body said, you can't do that? How many times I've said, I can't do that? I can't. I'm tempted to say, no, I can't do that. <laughs> the great news is, through God, I can, do, I can do immeasurably more. Satan has tried to convince us that if we just give in to temptation, it's in our best interest. Ultimately, all temptation is the temptation to trade God's best for something less. We want to substitute the little G for whatever it is that we're following. So over and over in our lives, what happens is we trade God for something of far less value. That's why the temptation can turn into an addiction so quickly, because it doesn't satisfy long term. When we fall into Satan's hands, the word of the Bible, the word that the Bible uses for that is slavery. And we become slaves to Satan's tricks and schemes. 1 Peter 5.8 Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Lions don't lick you. They eat you. If you jump into the lion's pen at the zoo and expect for them to come over so you can pet them and share a snack, you're the snack. Common sense says I don't jump in there with that lion. Amen? Yeah, common sense says don't do it. Stupidity says I'm over the fence. I don't need, I'm not going to be tempted. I can play around with that. That's what David said too. Because see, it's not just a physical choice that concerns your body. It's a spiritual battle that's going to affect every other area of your life. In fact, the Bible says that sexual temptation in your body not only affects your mind, it also affects your spirit. And so David, even though he was being used by God to do great things, he lost the spiritual battle and he gave in to temptation. Satan wants nothing more for you and me than to take Satan at his word and he wants to take us down. Which takes me to number three. Avoid the people or places that tempt me. As we've talked about already, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I would never do what David did. I would never commit adultery. I would never get addicted to pornography. Certainly, sexual sin is not my issue. But look what Paul says. He says, run away. Run away. Run away from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one. Run away. Flee. So if, you've got, if you're tempted, run. If that girl comes up to you and says, hey, big boy, turn, turn and run. Ah! And run. Ladies, if that guy comes up to you and he's all whatever, and you're, you, you, <laughs> whatever, turn and run. Ah! And run. Flee from him. Now they'll think something's wrong with them. Good. Now let's go back to David and Bathsheba. The most famous case of adultery in all of history. King, King David of Israel, a man described after God's own heart. Can you imagine what was going on that day? David should have been at war with the generals, with the warriors. Instead, he hangs back, takes his nap, goes up on the roof. And we don't know if, the, if in Scripture if this was the first time they went on the roof, but 
I can see a pattern developing, can't you? You see, sin, temptation, never culminates with one glance. It takes more than once. I may drive by Golden Corral, tell myself I can handle it. I go in the door. No real smell that grabs me yet to make me think that I can't do this. And I go up to the food line and they've got fried chicken, fried okra, fried chicken and fried okra, mashed potatoes and gravy, two kinds of gravy, not just one, just two kinds. Corn is sitting in butter. And then over here is this dessert area that God has called me to. Then there's the salad bar that I feel no, nothing toward. You got me? See, it's not till I'm inside that I can't stop. But if I never go inside, I win. I can drive by a hundred times as long as I don't go inside. David should have been at war. David shouldn't have been at the palace. Everyone's capable of falling into temptation. Everybody. And the key is to make it difficult, not easy, to fall into temptation. The Bible gives us some very specific advice, which is to run away from things that tempt you and stay clear of those. If going up to the roof and looking at a woman across the way tempts you, the Bible is very practical. Don't go to the roof. Men are visually driven. That's why when women wear tight clothing, low-cut clothing, men stare. They do. And you women say, what's wrong with you stupid men? Shame on you. Well, if you know we're that way, can you give us a little help? Be nice. You see? Well, you just need to grow up and be more mature. Perhaps. Perhaps so. If going to the bar causes you to drink too much, don't go to the bar. If going to a buffet causes you to eat too much, don't go to a buffet. If driving a car makes you drive too fast, quit driving a car. Car's the problem, right? Amen. I saw last week that they were going to do a ban on pressure cookers. I was excited to finally see that. Pressure cookers are the problem in marathons, evidently. Somebody has to set down the pressure cooker. Somebody has to show up to create the temptation and somebody has to go in to fulfill it. When are we going to say, God, I'm tempted. God, I'm going to stay out of there. Pornography is a very powerful thing because here's what happens. And it's rampant. We see a few images, it gets imprinted deeply inside of our minds, and then our mind begins to replay those images over and over and over and over. 
I share this because I read an article recently that just boggled my mind. Because see, it's not just guys. In this article, they discovered that now 50% of the users of online pornography are women. The highest usage of online pornography is found in nursing homes. I'll just let that one hit you for a minute. There are 372 pornographic websites on the internet and growing by leaps and bounds. 25% of all search engine requests are for pornographic materials. Pornography is a $12 billion a year industry in the United States. It's $57 billion worldwide. It makes a lot of profit. That's why it keeps expanding. The pornography industry has greater annual revenue than NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox combined. And this one really surprised me until I started to think about it. Adult bookstores are, are, are of that type now outnumbers McDonald's in the United States by a rate of three to one. On any given day, between 40 and 50 million Americans visit porn websites, and that's not even the scariest part of the stat, because they're just stats. Here's what happens. 15% of those who view pornography regularly on the internet develop sexual behavior that disrupts their life and their relationships. <laughs> you think? Psychologists now consider internet pornography the gateway path, like a gateway drug to other forms of sexual addiction, and it's just as difficult to kick or to break free from as any other addiction like illegal drugs. And then lawyers are now saying that pornography, and particularly internet pornography, plays a significant role in a large percentage of divorces, even though 10 years ago it wasn't even a factor at all, in just 10 years. I'm talking about this issue today because we are talking about this giant of temptation. It's an issue. It's an epidemic in our country, and it seems perhaps that people in our church perhaps are dealing with it as well. If pornography on the Internet is an issue for you, I want to challenge you to find a, a way to conquer that giant. I want to challenge you to be accountable to your Internet use. There are softwares. There's a software program or programs that you can install on your, on your computer that will help keep you accountable. You personally, and then you send where you've been on the internet to an accountability partner who then will ask you, hey, what you doing looking at that? So the, it's available. Now, if you would, on your connection card, on the back, on the back, number two, admit that I need help in defeating sexual temptation in my life. And then the second statement is, send me the online accountability resources. You see, I, when I put all this together, I got to thinking about, you know, somebody may read that and say, well, I don't have a sexual problem. I don't have this problem. But I know somebody that does. I have somebody in my family that does. I have a dear friend that I love dear that does. So if that's you, if you would just kind of put a check mark by the word send. Put a check mark by there. What I want to do, and hopefully you have an email address on the other side, is I want to send you some links that will help you in working through some of these and the battle of these. I'll send you the link that you can look at uh, these uh, websites that will help you 
or help your friend or your relative with that. One of them is triplexchurch.com. Now, <laughs> sounds kind of funny, doesn't it, that they would name their website triplexchurch.com? But it's a ministry. It's a ministry that helps folks struggling with pornographic addiction. It helps them to break free from it. So I've got several of those I would send to you. Uh, it'll be very private between you and me and the Lord. That's it. So if that happens and if you want that to happen, just put a little check mark by that word send and I'll know what that means. Just let me know you want those resources. <clears throat> but avoiding the people in places. Certainly internet's a big issue. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.33. Say, uh, some say, let's feast and get drunk for tomorrow. We die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. One of the things before you turn that page, if you're married and you're starting to lean in a, in a certain direction, maybe there's somebody at work that's caught your eye or you're beginning to flirt and learn and lean in that direction, understand that you need to avoid that person who is pulling you away, pulling you toward that direction. You need to turn immediately in the opposite direction. In other words, turn and run and flee and scream or whatever you need to do. Sometimes shifting jobs or changing departments inside a job because you're in a, in a situation that's, that's toxic to you. Maybe your issue is financial, some other temptation. And you might be saying, I'm not going to go to that bar. I'm not going to allow myself to be tempted in that way. I've even heard people say, I'm going to get off social media because my old girlfriends and my exes are trying to find me and hook up with me. Whatever it takes. So I want you to look back at what you wrote down. Number one, avoid people places that tempt me so what are some of the people that uh, I'm sorry that was that was the last one what are some of the people and places that you are tempted from but let's look at all of them admit that you're tempted number one number two acknowledge that I'm in a spiritual battle number three avoid the people and places that tempt me and then number four very important step focus on God not the temptation focus on God not the temptation and that was really ultimately David's issue. When you first read, read that story and you see that David hung back, didn't go to war, stayed home, he goes up to the roof of the palace. Imagine how the story would have been different if he had if he'd used that time to pray and to read scripture. But instead David took his attention off God and he put it on his, his attention on the temptation. All throughout our series, I've tried to get you to understand that it doesn't matter the size of your giant because if you measure the size of the giant through your own eyes, it's always going to be too big. So don't focus on the size of your giant. Focus on the size of your God. And when you focus on God, no giant's too big. God will always see you through. He will always give you a way out. Thus, our memory verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, worded a little differently now on the back of your um, outline there. Let's take a look at it. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So, once you go back and circle those two words, way out. He'll show you a way out. Somebody says, I just don't have a choice. I had to give in. That's really wrong. You've always got a choice. You've always got a choice. Unless it's a forced issue. 
Most of the time it's not. But no, no matter how powerful the addiction, no matter how strong the temptation, no matter how much the physical pull, God always gives you a way out. Exercise that power of choice. Remember, there's accountability software out there. There's ways that you can help. There's Christian counselors in Tulsa that specialize in, in, in that type of addiction and other addictions that I'm aware of and I'd be glad to get you in touch with. It's beyond my ability to, to, to counsel, but not theirs. I'd love to get you in touch with them. Don't grade your sin in comparison to others. All sin has consequences, and you've got to understand that. For David, the consequences were severe. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. It had consequences in his family. It had consequences in his marriage. It had consequences in the lives of the people of God for years to come. All sin has consequences. But I want to talk to you who feel like you've already given in. I know that this type of preaching can be dangerous. And you might be saying it's too late for me because I've already blown it. If you haven't given in temptation, you can choose today to honor God with the rest of your body. If you've already given in to temptation, the good news is that you can honor God with the rest of your life and the body that He gave you. You can. You can find healing and restoration. It, it, to honor God with your body, to honor God with your finances, to honor God with whatever area of temptation you're facing. If you've given in, you can choose today to stop and restore. Stop and restore. He's in that business. He's never gone out. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Remember when we started back on Easter, I said, if you want to know how much you're worth, look at the cross. Look at the cross. And the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is available for you and me today. So we can say no. We've got a choice. The same power that raised him can help us. You're in this battle between the giant of temptation and God's best. David's sin had consequences. There's no way to diminish that. All sin has consequences. But I want you to see at the latter part of David's life in Acts chapter 13 how it's put about David. David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. Look, out, look, what, look how God finishes it. He will do everything I want him to do. You see, God is in the business of restoration, healing. He's ready. He just needs you to say, Lord, help me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for everyone that's here today. I just pray today that the message has touched some hearts. God, we struggle. We struggle in our walk with you. We struggle in our day-to-day -day walk because Satan is alive and well. But God, I'm praying, I'm praying earnestly that we will fight the good fight. We will admit that we're tempted. We'll stay out of places and, around, and away from people that cause us to sin. And Father, that we'll commit ourselves to you in such a real and positive way that good things will come. There's help available, Lord, if we'll but seek it. But we first have to come to you to get that help started. So, Father, there's somebody here today that just needs to have prayer, needs to find you for the very first time, would, you, would that be known to us so that we could help them? In Jesus' name.
Amen. Hymn of invitation. God's ready to tug into your heart. Need to respond. What'd you do it this morning as we sing together?